The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So, um, Santikaro is um, such a friend of, of this community, and um, he had been a, a student of um, Ajahn Buddhadasa in Thailand, a monk there for 19 years, um, and had been um, Buddhadasa's um, primary translator for many of those years, and has continued to make um, Ajahn Buddhadasa's work um, available to um, to persons who speak English translating from the Thai and what I have so personally um, respected about Ajahn Buddhadasa's work is that he had a vision of Dhamma that really included society it was um, pragmatic it was ethical it had a vision of um, justice and equity. And so of the many revered Thai masters, um, Ajahn Buddha, really Buddhadasa stands out for that. And um, Santikaro has really brought that sort of um, integrity and investigation to his uh, Dhamma scholarship and teaching here in um, in the United States, and he still continues to teach internationally. And what's wonderful for us is not only that he comes here once a year to um, to teach and to engage with us, but he and his wife, Jo Marie, have a, a wonderful um, meditation uh, refuge, place of beauty, place of study, in uh, Norwalk, Wisconsin, about three, three and a half hours maybe from from here. And he and um, Joe Marie um, live the Dhamma, teach the Dhamma, share the Dhamma. Um, their place has animals. It has horses and it has cats. And they do some teaching, actually, with, um, with animals and that sort of connectedness with all things. So, and now they have... Um, completed a guest house so that um, people um, have um, indoor bathroom facilities and um, floor heating, in-floor heating. So, uh, And we're all welcome to come and um, study there, practice there. It's uh, a very beautiful um, area of the driftless area of Wisconsin. So he and Joe Marie would really welcome us to come and uh, study and practice with them. So, uh, and we've had lots of great conversations about uh, engaged Buddhism. I always get the incredible pleasure of hosting Santikaro um, when he goes place. So we're late for almost everything because we're in some Dhamma discussion. We have to show each other books. We have to, so it's just great to have, <laughs> excuse me, to have him here with us. So thank you for coming. Thanks again, Patrice and everyone else. I'll add that we, we don't call it a retreat center, but retreat is the primary purpose. And we don't call it a retreat center because it's not so much groups, 
but individuals or two or three friends who want to come at the same time. And we stress self-structured retreat. So one person, three person, usually with some kind of coordination uh, with us. Though we have regulars who, they just come and go. They let us know they're coming. And once we've gotten to know folks, we welcome that. But generally, it's for personal self-structured retreat with some or a lot of input and guidance from us, and occasionally from the animals, depending on how that works out. So, and we're now happy that it's much easier to welcome people year-round. We've got the facilities for four to five people year-round. We may grow a little bit, but we're not going to grow much bigger than, say, eight people, unless uh, we get a lot of help taking care of the place, because that's now our bottleneck, is doing the chores. Okay, so today's topic, and we'll be here till three-ish, three-something. I've heard anywhere from 2.30 to 3.30. I'm a little concerned about the snow because I'd like to get home tonight. We're celebrating our 10th anniversary marriage tomorrow because it was Friday, but I came here. <laughs> and Joe Marie's tolerant. So. so I'm watching the weather with hopes of getting back tonight. So we'll see how the conversation goes, and, and somewhere around 3, 3.30, depending what what feels natural. So the, um, the label for this afternoon is we're all in this mess together. And that's playing around with some core Buddhist teachings how all things depend on other things, and whatever happens, happens through other stuff that are the so-called causes and conditions. And as we trace that out, we find all kinds of webs of relationship, things what Thich Nhat Hanh calls interbeing. Some people use the word interdependent. And when we look at life, each of our lives, we're all in it together. And 
we is not just human beings or Americans or white people or brown, black, whatever. It's all of us, including tree people and four-footed people, etc. And then the other is uh, the word mess harkens back to yesterday's topic, which was dukkha. And the kind of distress that we inflict on ourselves and encourage in others due to our egoism, our greed, hatred, delusion, shame, ambition, and various other things that Buddhism likes to uh, explore so that we can uplift ourselves from lives dominated by such forces to lives that have more freedom from the three poisons of greed, hatred, delusion. By the way, I'm, I'm not going to limit myself today to Theravada terminology. Like three poisons is not traditional Theravada. Theravada's fires, Mahayana's poisons. Choose your metaphor or come up with others that, that do the job. If we put these together, and I'm assuming everyone here in some way resonates with the theme. I'll take it for granted you don't have serious disagreement with the thesis that we're in a big mess. It's possible humanity always has been in a big mess, or even depending on your understanding of Dhamma teachings, you could just say, is a big mess. It's hard to say how long this has been going on, maybe uh, a long time. But it, many of us are acutely aware of the mess these days. Some of us perhaps have been aware of it for a long time. And when we put these two teachings together and throw, throw in some compassion, which in traditional Buddhist literature is the desire, the wholesome wish, the aspiration to do what we can to free beings from the distress and suffering created by greed, hatred, delusion. It seems to me blatantly obvious that when we put these teachings together, we also see the greed, hatred, delusion, envy, fear playing out not just in individuals, but our 
communities, our families, both whatever goes for nuclear family these days, households and extended. It's all over the media, uh, our politics, our economy. It's hard to turn around and not have some forms of greed, hatred, delusion at all playing out. So I offered this as our theme. For our time, I would like to ask some questions and have conversations around these questions. At a couple points, I might give some short Dhamma talk, I call them talk-ets, maybe 10 minutes on this or that. But mostly, I'd prefer to have these days conversations where I can chime in a bit, but not, not dominate. So first, I'd like to, I think it'd be valuable since it's best not to assume, how do we, as individuals, characterize the mess? And I have a question to ask about for that purpose. And, and we'll see from individuals what sort of manifests with all of us here today. Next, I'd like to ask a question about values. The description that Common Ground sent out mentioned values. And I see what we come up with as values that might allow for uh, reaching across the many divides that are troubling our society, and in many cases, troubling our families. Third, in the little teaser sent out, is the question, what is a healthy Dhamma basis for reaching out and looking for ways to build bridges. And I'll, at that point, I'll give a little talk on my favorite Dhamma teaching about this. And at some point, maybe, maybe the last bit, some sharing about strategies not for changing or fixing the world, but strategies for how do we interact across perceived 
differences and especially where we see the kind of polarizing us versus them, left versus right, blue versus red, um, and whatever variations on those that we so easily divide into. That's a rough outline of my suggestion for today. Let's go with that, and then later we'll see if I left out something important or y'all want to steer it in whatever direction we will go with that. So first, uh, like to pose a question, give everybody a minute or so to think about it or reflect, and um, then we'll share. <clears throat> so simply, the question I'd like to ask here, what's the mess? From your perspective, what is this mess? And I'm not asking you to be political or sophisticated Buddhist, just in your own gut, your feelings, how you see things. What's this mess we're all in? Your own personal take or feel. What's this mess we're all in? Could you wait just a bit longer? Thanks. And feel free to think of more than one thing. If you are like me and think it's a pretty big multifaceted mess. so as not to keep Robert antsy for too long. Um, what I'd like to suggest is we go around kind of popcorn style and briefly name your name a perspective on the mess that's of particular concern to you a perspective or aspect of 
the big mess that you believe or feel is especially important. And once we start going around, if somebody's named your number one, then speak out your number two or number three. Or if you feel you want, say, yeah, I really feel A or is the core thing. So to get a sense of where we're coming from and how we see things. Robert, please get us going. What, what occurs to me is that um, as we've gone through our, the world, now has gone through so many different uh, ages, I mean the industrial age, and I, I think I would be correct in saying that we're now in this information age. And um, in this information age, I feel that we are um, moving at a high rate of speed in terms of how we communicate or try to communicate with one another. And I don't think there's enough reflection on exactly what we want to say and what we would like to see happen. So I see that as part of the problem. Thanks. If you'd like, just pass the mic, and whoever's ready to say something, say it. Um, hello, this is Sean Gashesky, and um, one I'm working on this week is helping Minneapolis and St. Paul and the big suburbs be united on energy and climate solutions. And um, I don't see actually a lot of division there. Uh, part of it is just how do they work on energy goals community-wide um, when they don't normally have staffing to do that. Uh, so it's a bit more of a resource question and how to share between one another. But hopefully it can like have a nonpartisan like blue and red collaboration aspect. Um, my perception of the mess is this, it seems like growing uh, willingness to throw people out of our hearts or to condemn and to hate. The first thing that came to my mind was just a lack of caring um, being expressed for, I mean, a lot of, uh, in a lot of ways, and certainly toward people that are not in our immediate center of attention. Oh, I'm Jean. Um, part of the mess is intolerance, born of ignorance, fear, and a sense of scarcity. I'm Sharon. Um, I feel like one of the things that's happening is that oh, in this information age, we're getting a lot of information quickly from our government, and there are things that are happening that are that are they feel like an assault, and um, I think that interferes with a lot of other I, other issues I need to be working on and. I think I probably shouldn't quit listening to the news. But. 
I'm Jude, and I guess for me, I don't see a, a localized specific mess. It's more generalized. I wish I. Well, that's fine. Whatever you think yeah. it is, I it wish doesn't I have to be your backyard. No. <laughs> yeah. It. It. Um, and I feel like um, uh, this hopefully will be the year when I grow spiritually to be able to handle that generalized mess I'm feeling. Uh, I'm Steve, and gee, that's a small topic you've picked. <laughs> um, I think that we've been in this mess forever, and there's a lack of understanding or a depth of that, um, and that um, there's an imbalance of people and of money and of, of generations, of race, of nationalities, and so it's, uh, and I think a lot of it has to do with um, a lack of ability to see the other and uh, really witness and uh, going along the lines of what I heard earlier about um, opening my heart to the other and their um, own thing and having compassion for mine as well. I'm Sarah. Um, I feel that some things other people said, the fast pace of our world and all that's going on, we're asked to judge very quickly what we think and feel without consideration. I think that's going on in my family, in my community, in my home in the news. I'm Jesse Reisdorf, and I guess one of the things that came to my mind right away as I thought about, you know, the, the violence and the destruction of nature, and I thought it was a confusion between what is, you know, material things becomes like what people are thinking as their divinity rather than the natural world and their own heart and soul and mind. So I think that's what I saw. And, it, and that being kind of a cause of violence to of having something that's non-living as like or inorganic as what is kind of um, a religion. So... I'm Don. Um, I see the big mess as um, a society on the world stage as we continue to be progressive on diversity issues, immigration, health care, all those things that are intrinsic to human rights. As we move along, it seems like we have left behind those who feel uh, disenfranchised somehow, uh, are left behind that are probably of a class of like, um, that previously were entitled entitlement stuff um, how do we how do we move forward but also taking those people along who have been disenfranchised and or feel um, left left out and don't have a voice 
my name is Stacy. Uh, I would uh, characterize the mess uh, as fear. Fear of uh, not being known, cared for, uh, fear of having to be without, whether that's resources, connection, fear of being vulnerable, fear of acknowledging our own ignorance and disconnection from one another, fear. Um, I see a big part of the mess as um, a whole sector of the population, um, not just elites, but much of the left for that matter, characterizing, um, you know, people, people who don't have any sense, because in this country, issues of class have been systematically hidden and denied. Um, uh, don't, you know, write, they write books about things like why people vote against their own interests, you know. And, and I've lived in rural Wisconsin, and, you know, uh, people on food stamps, when they've seen the fathers of their families downsized out of one job after another for the last 30 years, are not interested in being on food stamps. They really want um, a, um, a better life, and they were willing to take a huge risk with Donald Trump. And I, it bothers me that there's so little respect and so little ability to listen um, for what, you know, some people were saying and are saying crudely and profanely and with racist epithets, but there's a whole lot more, I think, who deserve more respect than, than we give them, and it, it bothers me. My name is Veronica. Um, I'm, I see in myself and around me the, the ease with which uh, disagreement becomes dismissal and how isolating that is um, but I think I also think community is messy and I'm wondering what the container is you know, or I'm looking at the containers in my life where there is more tolerance or that sense of feeling like we're we're in this together supports tolerance and see, you know seeing where those containers are and aren't where where that that sense of togetherness is and isn't I'm Patrice um, I really believe the the root of the ongoing mess is greed hatred and delusion and sometimes the delusion is um, deliberate ignorance, choosing, choosing not to know. Um, and I see a lot of this manifested in ongoing structural racism and in um, ongoing misogyny and in ongoing um, denial of the fragility of the earth and the limitation of its um, resources, so a lot of a lot of delusion, and I think um, 
one of the things that I struggle with is that um, sometimes that sense of helplessness. And I don't know whether that's a delusion that really I often feel um, a kind of helplessness and despair and don't know, have a lot of don't know mind around this. My name's Sarah, and um, I agree with what everybody has said. I think that it's, there's so many, so many things that um, are involved in this mess. Um, Veronica, I really resonated with what you said. I feel like a lot of our differences are causing um, so much fighting and also so much um, like disposal, you know, just or um, ending relationships or whatever it is um, because we can't seem to find um, a way to agree to disagree or whatever that is, um, a way to be in a community with a lot of different types of people and different um, things going on. And, and yeah, I think, I think with so many people in the world today and so many different kinds of cultures and, and everyone's sort of mixed together now, um, what can we do to help to bring it together? My name is Nancy. <clears throat> um, I just somehow got this little vision of, I don't know, was it back in the 70s or 80s? There was always the, this image of like a Native American person standing next to the highway, and it's a mess, and, the, and they have a tear, you know, the man has a tear. Like, I don't know if people are nodding their heads. And, and like, yeah, it was a mess, you know, and so <clears throat> that ad or whatever is trying to reveal this, like, look at this mess. And so it, it just seems like we're getting even more clear about how messy it is. Like, oh, yeah. Like, I feel like when that ad or whatever was out, like, there was a little bit of clarity. Like, oh, yeah. Um, we're really raping this land, you know. But now we're like, whoa, you know, like, we're getting clearer. So part of me feels like, isn't this a good thing that, we're really seeing this mess um, and that it's actually a part of awakening. Um, and it has to, almost like it has to grow really uncomfortable and messy before it precipitates some deeper change. So some, you know, yeah. Um, it just, it's something about it feels very, very natural and, um, but, you know, presenting just, just massive question marks. So I'm glad we're here. Thanks. My name is Chaya, and as soon as you started asking the question, the first thing that came to my mind was me and mine. I, <clears throat> I think that if we can release ourselves from what is me and what is mine 
and have interest in our neighbor, have interest in our, you know, places that we don't even know about and people that we don't know about, you know, how is this affecting you? How do you feel? Um, I'm, I've been aware of, you know, being around people that it is so much about, well, I don't think it should be this way or I don't think it should be that way. Um, but never asking, well, what do you think? You know, there's always that, this is the, and this is the way it should be, therefore. And I think, you know, yeah, we need to be aware of differences and be aware of that compassion for the different and and not so much about, you know, well, they're like me, so therefore that's my friend or whatever. But, you know, everybody's important if I if I just can open my heart enough. So that's what I'm thinking. Um, many things have just gone through my mind listening to all of you. So right now I'd like to characterize the part that we don't have enough capacity to suffer wisely. Um, I'd, I'd, we're afraid to suffer. <clears throat> And we've lost resilience, the resilience of being able to suffer skillfully. I'm Richard, and I, in coming here, I was just assuming that there was a mess and that there's some urgency about it, but now that I'm here, Reflecting on it and listening to people, I'm I'm wondering. Well, um, is there really a mess? Because like um, thinking that there is a mess, at least in my mind, implies that we should do something about it, or that there we should bring some order to it, or to clean it up. And I'm not so sure anymore. However, I do know I notice in myself and in hearing other people and just in day to day life that there's a lot of anxiety, a lot of suffering. Um, I see it both in terms of my personality, I see it in my coworkers, my family, and it seems that uh, with the, the media, um, there does seem to be an, an urgency, and things seem to be exaggerated. Can somebody help with the chair? You're okay, Hi, I'm I'm Vicky, and um, I I do think there's a big mess, and I've always been someone who's been a little bit like uh, a chicken little, you know that the sky the sky is falling, and I still think the sky is falling, but I think it's falling really fast, and um, in that um, that it, we're, we live in a time of accelerated compounded mess, kind of like the, the landslides in, in California now. Things are, are happening fast and extreme. And, um, and that, like no time in the, in the history of humankind has there been such an ability to um, annihilate all of life and, and or 
in so many different ways. With, 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 you know, whether yeah, and um, and that capacity seems strong, and it's and it, uh, um, and yet um, we have more ways of being distracted than ever. And I think distraction is 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 uh, is big, and maybe that's part of uh, is. is um, not enough capacity to suffer wisely. Maybe we distract ourselves, you know, and uh, instead of suffering wisely. Yeah. Hi, my name's Noelle, and I'm just going to cry here, okay? Thank you. <laughs> uh, my name is Kathy, and um, actually, all the way around, I kept thinking of distractions. <laughs> um, there are so many distractions, and they come so quickly. Um, and it feels kind of like a meteor shower sometimes in terms of the speed uh, and the changes from day to day um, and what seems to increase the mess. <laughs> um, but I guess um, part of what I'm thinking is also um, if, there's, if I'm able to be more compassionate um, that that's a, a way to maybe calm myself uh, within the, the mess. I'm Rich. Um, I think there's a, a lack of understanding on the parts of a lot of people and parties or whatever on what the conditions of people's lives really are. Um, something they many, many in many cases aren't looked at. Uh, I think uh, DACA is an extreme example of that. Hi, uh, my name's Mary Laurel, and I guess the first thing that came to my mind when we, when we talk about a mess, I, as an American, I think of the United States um, and its role in the world, and so I guess as an American and as a a person in the culture that I feel like really dominates the world and watch, um, you know, how, how this country behaves. Um, I think about that mess daily and um, our role in solving the mess, I guess. And I like what people have said about the speeded up nature of things. I, I've noticed myself even getting more impatient with stoplights they're still the same amount of time <laughs> but I found just you know getting hyped and um that the speed at which you want people to say things the speed at which you want things to be solved and so um I think a, a calming a slowing down and a, also the um the speeded up nature at which we think we can dominate everything around us and um the world and I think it's really powerful what people have been saying lately about that the earth will continue but our you know with with the mess we're in um, with the environment that that mother earth and the earth has a way of knowing how to be and even though we're causing all this destruction that the earth can go on but our choice is going to be whether we can slow what's going on down enough and be kind enough and gentle enough with each other, with ourselves and the world to 
and especially I think as a superpower, um, take that seriously and and um, but I think there's a lot of hope, and I think this community brings a lot of hope to the world. So I'm thankful for that. I'm I'm Pat, and a mess is a really great word to describe the situation we're in, and that it implies what are we going to do to clean it up? We're all in the in the mess. How are we contributing to it? What are our abilities to address it? To especially to work with young people. Um, uh, who are going to be inheriting the future, uh, native wisdom, seventh-generation thinking in terms of how our actions affect um, uh, those generations to come. And I think there's a global consciousness that we are in a mess, and I think there, there's a part of everyone's heart that knows that, and hopefully a part that can be reached. And, um, and there's all sorts of, as people mentioned, distractions and diversions, keep people from looking honestly at what's happening to our world. Um, I, I think that there's um, greater opportunity than ever for, um, for uh, moving forward with uh, addressing climate change. Soil health is the piece I'm working in myself how important that is and sequestering carbon and um, there's great work being done and people a lot of times just don't know about it I'm so lucky I got for my job learning what's the most exciting stuff happening around the world in renewable energy and addressing climate change and it's out there but but uh, I think a lot of times people just don't know it is but but the great movement forward is happening and so we all can we all can do our part big and small My name's Steve. Um, I guess I um, I kind of want to give up the idea of the mess, uh, <laughs> or at least hold it in some way that it's more like a piece of clay that hasn't been worked, you know, as the way it appears. But we get, you know, getting our fingers into it. Um, there's uh, there's a mal there's there's more to it there's there's the um, <clears throat> so I I kind of follow along I kind of follow the school of thought that um, the outward contours of what's happening right now are founded in deep uh, deep historical trends the, you know the most threatening things around the environment racism sexism. Um, uh, dedication to um, to wealth and material things um, and living in, in the heart of an empire so many of these things we didn't have to look at if we were as safely ensconced in a middle class uh, or above and uh, now we are being personally affected by them and uh, we have choices about uh, how we work with that awareness. So, and I see that as a parallel state of things to my own personal realizing how deeply affected I am also and have been, how deep the patterns go in me of aversion, of greed, um, and uh, the very water that I grew up with was infused with with the isms um, even though um, we were a nice liberal family and um, 
not saying that was bad either. So um, I was just looking at the paper this morning after the talk, and there are really a number of hopeful stories in the New York Times today. You know, and it's just like, gee, I could look at these stories and really take heart and look around. And I am feeling really, and right now, about the idea of community and the idea and looking at my own tendency to isolate, say, things are so bad, I just need to have my own safe space. But um, that uh, if change comes out of community um, and, and connectedness. So... We've been around this circle. Just turn it off and set it in the middle for part two. No, we've all spoke, but we're going to. I'm going to make a quick attempt to pull some main threads out of that. And this won't capture everything said, but I was taking some notes one predominant theme had to do with speed of information, of judgment, of rate of change, things like that. And if I'm hearing right, that this speed makes it even harder to respond wisely and constructively. Second major thread has to do with things like ignorance, um, not understanding the reality of the lives of others. And sometimes this is connected with speed, like overloaded with the fast pace of information. So that's a second thread I heard touched on a lot. A third thread is somebody mentioned dismissing people, so the willingness to ignore, not listen to, judge, blame, dismiss, write off large groups of other. That's a third And then this is probably lumping too much under one label, but the kind of emotional reactivity, anxiety was mentioned, fear was mentioned. Um, Even what I said sort of ties into this. The inability to cope with our own anxiety, fear, and similar things mentioned. So as far as my notes go, that covers a lot of what we heard. And I'm not trying to oversimplify, but my the way I have trouble keeping track of it all if, one, I don't write it down, but two, kind of these big interweaving threads. 
And some of us did mention specific issues, climate change, species loss, um, energy issues. Race. Race. I'm not sure anybody brought that up directly. Yeah, okay. I mean, I agree it's a big part of especially the American mess. But. Okay, and I thought one, actually, you all took this in a direction that's not what I expected, which is good, um, that we've heard from each other how we're framing and feeling the mess, such if there is a mess. And I kind of agree if we're too quick to call it a mess, then what are we missing? <laughs> the next step in this that at least using my logic and hopefully my logic won't cause problems is well actually my question about values is based in my perception that some of you mentioned the ignorance, the difficulty communicating. I see that as something, and a few of you towards the end seem to be going in this direction, that especially a community like at Common Ground has certain values that would bias, bias us, or what liberation theology called the preferential option. It's not like the other options, bad, like rich people are bad, that's not the point, but the preferential option for the poor, kind of leaning into something, is how I meant the word bias, a moment ago, even though we usually consider bias bad or negative. But we've all got our leanings. And my sense of common ground over the years and conversations like this the last time I've been here, there is an option that's preferred towards some kind of reaching out some kind of connecting, some kind of crossing bridges. Am I enough on the right page with, with that as a step we can now feel our way partly into and do some more sharing? Anybody really turned off by what I just said? Not that I'd want to. Okay. So, if that's okay, then 
uh, hypothesis I'm entertaining and this will be an opportunity to hear from others how much hope to put in this hypothesis is there's a possibility of certain shared values. In the political rhetoric, the so-called right has family values and make a big deal about values. And that's less talked about by the so-called left or liberals. But in fact, liberals have values too. They may not make a policy out of it explicitly. And I don't want to try to analyze the politics and the PR propaganda going on there. But I, especially as a, a group community grounded in Buddhist practice and with a strong relationship to Buddhist teachings and an affinity with other religious teachings, at least the religious teachings that are uh, not hate-based, to put it crudely, which I call pseudo-religion, when it's really hatred claiming it's religion. Uh, but so again, a place like this, there are values. And individually, if we soul-search there are some values that, even if we don't think of them, they're what uh, friends I used to work with a lot in the Philippines called operative values. And we use this concept to distinguish people often espouse values, but they're not always the values they live by. This is often the case with religion when it's co-opted by, say, capitalism or, and or a political ideology. It's easy to say I'm pro-people, but here, let's, as, especially as mindfulness practitioners and 12 steps and things like that, what are my actual lived values? And take that now as a place to explore deep down what are the values, I, the healthy values, by the way. Um, we could go back and do a lot of confession around our, our greed, our internalized racism, and stuff like that, um, which is important. But today I'd like to explore what are our actual living values that show up regularly in our lives that we're sometimes could do a better job of owning instead of being over, doing false humility and really 
takes up joy and satisfaction, which is part of Buddha's teaching, by the way, without trumpeting our own horn, that, yeah, if I'm honest, there are these values in me, maybe not perfectly lived out, but they inform my choices, my lifestyle, how I treat others. And then as we look into such values, which of them, maybe many of them, but which of them are an opportunity to reach across perceived differences or divides. Not everybody brought that up in the last half hour. So we'll see if that resonates enough, but it still seems to me we've got huge divides large groups of people, historically large groups of people who've been left out and marginalized and perhaps groups feeling marginalized now for whatever reasons. And the divides, conscious and unconscious, caused by that. So my operating question is, do we have values, values we're living by and wish to continue to live by that are also an opportunity for finding common cause with people who, for example, don't believe that carbon sequestrations of any importance or at least so important. Just one, that's just an example I remembered, so I'm not signaling you out. Is that an interesting question for the next 45 minutes or so? I'm thinking it would be good to break into groups for this stage since we just did a go around. We could count off break into groups of five, there are 26 of us, 27 counting me, and talk about these values for a while and then maybe pull, pull backs, bring some big threads together. Willing to try that? Okay. Um, how about if we count off going the other Direction. Sure. One. So we'll count to five. Uh, I, I am aware, and I'm Stacy. I'm the board chair here at Common Ground, so I have the opportunity to talk to a lot of people in different spaces here, and I am very aware that 
Um, there are people who are not interested um, in having this sort of dialogue, or it is not clear to them how this integrates with practice, and that there is a perception that practice is about studying one's own mind, which is done best in solitude, and that if we are connecting outside of that, it is... Uh, Social and not necessarily linked to practice. So while I do not have that belief, <laughs> um, I think there, and there are multiple leaders in this circle, I think it would be useful to hear your reflections on that and uh, while also sharing some language for leaders and teachers to be able to respond to that. Yeah. Yeah. Is that... Um, when I did my Buddhist studies, that my teacher said that if you learn nothing here but kindness, you've learned it. I just want you to know, I do believe that. I try and practice that, and I do believe meditation and practice are the same, and I agree they're best done in solitude, and to continue that vein and try and be as social as possible outside of that. Noel. You don't have to pass it back, just set it down for when it's needed. Thanks. So I, I'm very happy to respond. And so we could make the next half hour about this and then see, see if there's time left for anything else. Is that? Okay. Um, there are multiple ways to address this, and I've been addressing it ever since um, well, I got involved in Buddhist practice while in Peace Corps. And so I had those two parts of my life going. And when I got, when I was upping my interest in Buddhist study and practice, and then became a monk, I was also meeting activists in Southeast Asia, mainly Thai, but others. And so it was always two strands of me. And as Patrice said at the beginning, Ajahn Buddhadasa was open to that, yet in his monastery, there were many monks who were highly uncomfortable. Often, um, this, some of this was a residue of the 70s, where monks should not be political, which meant critical of the government. If you praise the government, agreed with the government. That was not political. <laughs> so I alluded to this, and this is how it often is with entrenched in religious institutions. Things like political, which are then used to silence, in this case, monks. It took somebody with great self-confidence, like Ajahn Buddhadasa. There were others to break through that silencing. 
because when you played the game, your monastery was given perks, including bucks. And I, I could go on and on with the Thai example, but that's why I've been speaking to this ever since. And it's often come up. So it's, it's good I checked in that it's still an issue here as well, whether one is activist or just feels we all are have some or many of us have a calling to respond to um, the pain. Well, one of engaged Buddhist friend calls it structural violence. So not just personal, person-to-person violence, but structural. So, I would like to say, especially for Buddhism coming out of Theravada, which is roughly, I think, the common ground version, though I'm not sure this is Theravada Buddhism, but it's the insight meditation movement that's largely derived from Theravada. My model of Theravada is still back in Southeast Asia. Compassion's a great starting point. Also, given the historical uh, propaganda, Mahayana, Hinayana, Mahayana, Theravada, compassion's a way to cross that divide, which still shows up in this country, uh, strangely, but still does. So to me, just as we were doing with values a while ago, a starting point for me is do we care about suffering, which is the source of compassion, karuna. And yesterday's workshop concluded with this. Do we care about suffering? That's built into the core teachings of Buddhism and the so-called Four Noble Truths. And then the question I would take from there is, whose suffering do we care about? Because often we really care about our own or our loved ones. And then as folks get further away, we, to be honest, care less. It's not part of our daily life. It may be hard to imagine what it's like being a uh, Rohingya Buddhist. I mean, it's easy to imagine it's horrible, but the actual reality of their lives. Um, I have an advantage because I've been in that part of the world, though on the Bangladeshi side. Uh, but still, I don't really know it. So that would be my step two. Do we care about suffering? Do we, 
whose suffering do we care about? How wide are we prepared to open our circle of concern? And I don't mean that as a should, you know, or a way to sort of indirectly attack or make people uncomfortable. These are valuable Dhamma questions. So I'm trying to keep this grounded in practice, including it can't be if it's a real narrow understanding of Dhamma practice, like, well, we get quiet and we watch our minds. I can't go that narrow because that's not the Buddha's teaching. Um, so, but we can still keep coming back to a, a meditative grounding. And, and if we stick with caring about suffering, that's then Buddhist ethics. So we're still grounded in Buddhist practice. Ethics is about, in, in the West, it's been traditionally framed in terms of justice. In India, it was framed in terms of non-harming. So that's where we carry compassion into behavior. Now, is, to me, this is just perfectly makes sense, obvious, well-grounded in Buddhist teaching. So slow me down if it needs further elaboration. If we get into Buddhist ethics and the five precepts is a good starting point, but that's not the end point of Buddhist ethics. And to only stop with, well, we've got these five precepts, or I like Thich Nhat Hanh's refrain as the five mindfulness trainings. It deepens and broadens it. But Buddhist ethics is much more or Buddhist morality is much more than these five, whatever we call them. The Pali phrasing is actually not precept, it's training. They're literally called trainings, sikabhada. So if, if we're, does this address? And then from there, it seems to me, well, is harm done solely by individuals? I don't see how in our complex modern world we can get around the fact that somebody was talking to the violence done in our name. Even if I never touch a rifle, the whole weaponry of drones, militarized peace forces, We've got them in Sparta, Wisconsin. They've got all this secondhand military gear that the Obama administration was facilitating going into local police departments. What the hell do we need that for in a community of 9,000? Well, the terrorists might show up. 
maybe drug dealers or um, white supremacists. But even then, do we need a militarized police force? So that's one of gazillions of examples where, so that's the leap I think often people are not willing to take. That our ethics and our a Buddhist ethics, if we care, then Buddhist ethics needs to stretch beyond personal ethics, which then is a huge challenge to the middle class because middle class liberals, boy, are we individualistic, which comes back to a framing. And now this is awkward territory because now we're calling into questions some core middle class values like meditations an individual thing. Of course, there's an important truth to that. A certain amount of solitude to go inward is crucial, but is that the whole picture? So that's one way I, I go about this and stay grounded in mindfulness, Buddhist ethics, core Buddhist teaching. Anybody want to respond? I can go on to other teachings. There are, there are more. <laughs> but anybody want to respond to that first? Mind speaking to the mic since I guess we're recorded. <laughs> Poor Stacy, I'm sorry they might have missed you. <laughs> Don't want to get the board president. <laughs> no, I was just asking how that might actually, or how you would lead a meditation outside of an individual's point. In other words, would that be like, I mean, obviously you do this with like uh, guided meditations, but this sounds uh, like you're going beyond the piece of just focusing on yourself. I'd be curious, would you be then instilling value inside of that group value or group think? Um, well, Say a place like this, at least as I imagine it, people see a need for the going inside, developing the inner tools of mindfulness. So we don't want to mess with that. But at some point, people, I hope people realize the limitations of that. Many things that are valuable and necessary, that doesn't mean they're the answer, although we hear that. All you need is mindfulness. Really? Um, so we've got to respect people's processes, may take time, not be too pushy, which I can be. So 
But now to address your question, even the sacred Satipatthana Sutta, by the way, not my favorite sutta, but that's the one everybody quotes. It could be the one most, the only one most people know, or at least heard of. Uh, even there, everything referenced within the four foundations, applications, establishments of so-called mindfulness. There's an inside and outside. So if you take the sacred Satipatthana Sutta, excuse my tongue in cheek, seriously, there's the outside. Now, what does that mean? Doesn't really say. But arguably, it at least takes another people, other, well, in, in Buddhist tradition, other living beings. So body, pleasure, pain, vedana, mind, thoughts, awareness, perceptions, mental concocting, emotions, and then dhamma, that's out there. So Anybody who wants to just limit it within their skin is not reading the core source material, even of a fairly narrow understanding of Buddhist meditation. Because Satipatthana is just part of the meditation teaching. But it's important enough. So that's one way. But we do loving kindness practice. Question, why do we do it? Do we do it? And I would say, arguably, we may be doing it to feel good. Is that spiritual practice? I would say maybe not. It might be personally therapeutic, psychologically, emotionally. But if our primary reason for, say, loving-kindness practice is to feel better, that's not spiritual practice. I'm being kind of blunt. Second, um, we do it to change attitudes, change perspectives. Then maybe we're getting a little more spiritual about it. In my understanding, loving kindness practice really starts to get into spiritual territory when it starts loosening up the boundary of me, which means opening the me bigger and bigger, which means it's got to be taken in other lives. And the same with compassion practice. 
and at the same as the me opens up, the boundary gets softer, more transparent, which means we're letting others in. So that's another direction grounded in meditation. Um, I have an observation. Uh, my name's Don. But before I was going to ask my question, I think, were you going to respond back to her? Oh, you weren't. Oh, okay. I thought maybe. Um, so in my kind of experience, I had um, when we, uh, I think there's I think there's something there about, uh, for me, um, with suffering and, and then uh, moving into compassion. And in the center, I was on retreat here, and um, I was telling in our group, uh, four of us went on a, on a meditational walk to the park and then came back, and one of the persons was uh, describing, you know, being basically ang- angry um, emotions with something that had is uh, around uh, transgender issues. They're being kind of uh, forced on them. And I was able to sort of just, you know, kind of talk about the anger, kind of like give that person permission. So what I'm finding is it seems like um, that where I'm going to maybe be having compassion for others is in kind of identification. So it was like I was able to um, kind of resonate, understand where he's coming from, um, but also kind of be aware of my own kind of suffering and compassion around that and then allowing him to have his anger around that. So I'm wondering if there's like a component in this compassion and suffering that it's, it's, it's the suffering we know in order to kind of connect with those other people. So, like, I probably wouldn't do well if I was, uh, you know, sent to the Middle East or something, and I, I don't have no ties directly with the Middle East, <laughs> except I'm using their oil. <laughs> but um, but I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to kind of commiserate or have the compassion. But in my own community, in this center... I was able to resonate with somebody. And all I'll say, if you go to the Middle East and want to, it's possible to find ways to connect. Food's a good way in many cultures, but there are others. If you want that kind of empathy, Um, I have not been in this community very long and so I don't know much about how people feel but I, I also get the sense that that being too political as a community in other words everything is on you know do you do it individually in the larger community whatever you do but there's the sense that you kind of don't bring it here and that is just totally intuitive on my part. And so I could be wrong, and I'd be happy to be corrected. Um, the New Year's Eve um, set that I came to here, we did meta practice, and we did it uh, in part for the Rohingya uh, Muslims who have been forced out of their homes by Buddhists. Um, 
And, um, and I liked that, but another piece of me thought, this is a good thing, but maybe we should be sending a large check to the UN, you know, because they're going to be in those camps for a long time. Um, so I get stuck with, in a practical way, how do you step out or step up? And quite beyond that particular issue, um, sometimes when I try being part of other organizations, uh, there's so much anger at people who don't agree with them um, that it's hard for me to kind of sign. I mean, I, it's not that I think the anger is unjustified or that I don't feel it myself. It's just, you know, I don't, I don't feel very comfortable with the way it's expressed. I mean, the minute, and this is an old lefty thing, the minute you come in with whose side are you on, you know, it gets very dicey for anybody with a background in Buddhism. So I'd like it if you could speak to that a little bit. Yeah. Uh, well, we moved into a wind turbine controversy when Liberation Park was already in 501c3 and purchased land in Wisconsin in a town that what had just been through very divisive elections, recall elections, sparked by a wind turbine project. And so I have some experience with uh, parts of what you're speaking to. In that case, a, a number of people wanted to put us on a certain side and it seems could not hear us when we said generally we're pro-wind, but we don't like the way this project was done. Cause Many things were done very dishonestly. The representatives of the developer came into the community, got, if they could get somebody to sign a contract, cheap. Don't tell your neighbors. And so some people are getting contracts and we're one of the poorest counties in Wisconsin. So anyway, stuff's going on that as we learned about it, and the issue had largely been decided, but the aftermath played out for another three years. And that's what we got caught up in. And are you pro-wind? Or are you for the turbines, which is basically are you for me getting $4,000 a month because I'm struggling financially? Why each farm is struggling financially, a range of reasons. But this is the quick fix. Put up a wind turbine. Now it's leased to a rock company. So your farm, you can save your farm by allowing a quarry. 
don't worry, in 50 years, the land will be reclaimed, put back good as new. I don't believe it, but people are desperate. And, they, so, and then others were recruiting us. But it turns out those were the ones who also were curious about what we're doing, and folks became friends. So we ended up on one side, even if we didn't feel all that comfortable being sighted. And that still makes it very hard to... There are people who won't look me in the eye. When I go into a township meeting, I go often, and I'm on the planning commission. Just, And it's hard for me to smile because there's this glare. There's really some faces a snarl. And... But I've learned this goes back generations. It's, in some cases, high school stuff playing out. So we landed this. I could go on and on with the personal drama, sorry. What I'm trying to do is, like you mentioned, how do I contain my own anger when I'm attacked? Or all the local, the way local decision-making happens, it's dominated by men, and women are the girls. And there's a ton of bullying going on. So when I as a man, speak to male bullying, I get angry. But I found out that's also useful. And so I'm, pract- I'm not so concerned to get rid of my anger. Just contain it, be honest about it. I don't want to be angry either. But it puts a force in my voice that people are, even some of the bullies, they stop. So something, I'm still exploring, I'm not offering this as the (laughs) answer, because I've been with activists who draw on anger until it burns people out. I've seen that. Communist Party of the Philippines, for example, I had friends, provincial-level party Politburo, and they quit because they're tired of mobilizing the peasants and then basically burning the peasants out due to the national leadership. You've got to do this, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, anger's limited, but it gets attention. So there's that piece. So even if I feel some anger, how do I contain it, still speak truth, not call names, try to be fair as best and honest as best I can? So that's where I'm trying to... I think I'm doing a pretty good job, stay within good ethics, 
treat people with respect, not fall into the name calling which happens towards us and others. Riffraff. This Buddhist riffraff. <laughs> and the Catholics get that too. Um, am I going on too much? Um, so mindfulness, I use breath because that's the center of my practice. Just keep grounding, regrounding over and over again. Trying to keep my mouth shut when it's a good idea, but then I don't mind talking. So speaking up's easy. But speaking up in a measured, respectful way, that's where I, I'm most careful. Now what I'm working on very slowly, because I don't have a lot of time for this, is we have a new board president, and it's not clear where he's going with certain things. So I'm trying to find opportunities to one of the groups I was listening to, um, I think as Nancy talked about, really listening in a caring way, and I heard it as a respectful way. So I want to sit down with somebody who we don't have a lot of common. He runs a bar. And I hope we don't have to sit in the bar during a Packers game. Well, that's over with for a while. But, and that's my current strategy is find opportunities to sit down with people where I think there's some space to talk, find out what's going on with him, and then create space where it's okay for me to say what's going on with me or with us about issues we care about. Locally, I think a big issue in township level uh, with rural Wisconsin is roads. And there's a big gender divide. Men want to talk about, I call it rocks and roads. This is kind of my pet theory of the last six months, but there's this part of male white culture that's very comfortable talking about stuff. But let's not talk about feelings. Upper Midwest, right? So, but then we have women coming as mothers want to talk, I want my kids to have clean water. <laughs> I don't want rock dust in the air. I don't want our ruins, wells ruined by blasting. Stuff like this. That's a local divide that I'm trying to explore. How do we get out of this framework that's run our township where farmers, roads matter, get that? 
state doesn't give us enough money because of no taxes. We're stuck with this real crappy situation. Our town board is in a difficult place. So how to be sympathetic, and that's already happening, but how to stretch it beyond just rocks and roads? How do we get across quality of life? That's where I see our challenge. And so trying to shift the framework of conversation from the same old, we don't have enough money, how do we fix these and those roads? And then that's it, time's up. How do we talk about other stuff that matters? Streams, clean water. Um, Our part of the county doesn't have frac sands mines, but the northern half of our county does. It's a big issue in the drift lists. And then silica dust. One family sells the farm, gets $25 million. The neighbors get silica dust and a lot of truck traffic. So this is breakdown of community in rural was in our area. You sell the farm, you get this huge payout, turns out from a, a French, the shell company's French. The, you know, it takes digging to find out who's behind it. And then um, goes off to Pennsylvania or somewhere for fracking. But somebody's living with silica dust and noise and 24-7 bright-lit sky. So anyway, how do we meet with people, not sacrifice what we care about, but stretch? I'm looking for where can the conversation stretch? Because a friend of ours who was on one of the strong anti-wind turbine people Horrible things were done to her. I mean, deer head hanging from the doorknob. And she's an animal lover. She's a rescuer. And she was traumatized by very ugly behavior. And she hasn't gotten over it. But coming in and demanding, you've got to listen to our issue is, in my perspective, not getting us anywhere. So that's some personal sharing and some attempt to apply Dhamma practice. And again, when I'm mindful, I want to frame it in terms of suffering, not me, you us, them, him, her. And I'm not talking pronouns right now. I'm talking about how do we get out of 
this person, that person, this group, that group, to, I think, for me as a Buddhist, it's how do we keep asking, where's the dukkha here? And how can we be sensitive to the dukkha in ourselves? I don't want to stay angry. I feel crappy after some of these meetings, going home and there's residue of anger or fear. What if all the guns in the area are pointed at one of our horses? I think it's a realistic possibility. Hasn't happened yet. Well, I, I don't want to make it my own understanding of Buddha Dhamma. It's the fear, the desperation, the anger, the confusion. I have no qualms saying people are watching Fox News and MSNBC and CNN are being fed a load of delusion. And I prefer to watch CNN, but I've been in airports. The debates were advertised just like professional wrestling. When I saw, I don't have TV, so I only see snippets. But when I saw that over and over due to a delayed flight at O'Hare, it's like, I can't trust this network. So, so this is the level of suffering. But people are obviously desperate because of economics. Again, we're in a fairly poor um, county. Healthcare scores went up the last two years. We used to be bottom tier in Wisconsin. So there are these survival kind of things. Although I also notice people still have flat screen TVs, big pickup trucks, snowmobiles, and six packs. So something doesn't compute for a former forest monk. (laughs) (laughs) But is that a good starting point for a conversation? Oh, I see you've gotten a new flat screen. (laughs) But it isn't hard to see as soon as we cop to our own suffering the more we cop to our own greed, hatred, delusion, and then open up. It's, it's walking down every one of these streets. Okay, I spoke quite a bit. Anybody else want to say something? Monroe.
So it's 3.15. Any last things to bring up, or is this an okay closing point? I'll just echo something that Donna said at the very end of our group um, about um, what you were saying about finding connection with the other in some way, even though it seems as though we don't have anything to talk about. And another example in the group was someone who um, owned a cabin and their family enjoyed that cabin a lot of their lives, but they had no political uh, similarities. They were very different ends, and they were able to find a way to continue the relationship and even enjoy one another, but not necessarily in that place. And so Donna used the thing about, I think was, you said, keeping the yarn or... which speaks to patience and, yes. and in the background of my comments taking time to recognize I don't think this part of practice is emphasized enough if we do a regular review however long we've been involved with meditation to kind of do a, how was I last year? How was I five years ago? And take some time to really respect whatever, not according to someone else's official shoulds, but what has grown, matured, changed in a way we can honor in ourselves and really honor that. Out of that comes a self-confidence that's kind of behind some of what I was saying. Just to trust myself, I'm going to show up, I'm going to do my best, make mistakes, keep showing up, keep doing my best, learn. To keep supporting our own self-confidence, which is not arrogant but an honest recognition, yeah, this and that are, like in me, gratitude has, through practice and other supporting conditions, grown noticeably in the last eight years. If we respect that stuff in ourselves, we have more of that resilience and it's easier to respect similar things in others. I just, I, I would say as an activist um, all my life, just having found the center in Buddhism, I don't know 
how I would keep even going at this point without this practice and without um, the kind of centering and kindness to myself and to others that I'm learning here. And so I think, and I grew up in a radical Catholic tradition, Dorothy Day and all these <laughs> great, and, but something, I'm finding something here that I haven't found other places. And so I think this supports, for me anyway, as an activist, my life as an activist in a way that nothing else I've found has been able to do. So I, and I don't know the, what this community really teaches about politics. I've never, I find at least Mark's talks very provocative as far as what our role is in the world as people trying to do justice and very supportive of that. So that I've never felt anything different here from him. Um, So I just give thanks for, and, gratitude for I, I just think this radical kindness that Buddhism I'm finding anyway this radical kindness is is radical and so that kind of radical kindness comes into the world in a way that that opens up spaces that could never have been cha- changed for the positive so anyway I don't want to give a speech but I just I, I just feel so strongly that even not having heard what you've said, I felt it here that it was forcing me to do even more radical work in the world. So thank you. Thank you for being here, and I know you want to get home. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I could riff on that for a while, but I'll restrain <laughs> myself. Um, so let's wrap up. Thank you all for participating. Um, it's my wish that this feeds, supports what each of us is called to do personally, and that for those within Common Ground or connected to Common Ground who want to work together in certain ways, that we'll find our way in these messy times. Lastly, on the table outside, um, a Thai friend keeps giving me stuff. The latest version is cute little kitty bags. The big kitty bags already taken, but there are a couple smaller ones on, <laughs> on the table. So if you'd like, this is the smallest I'm going to keep, but there's two slightly larger ones plus a t-shirt. If the t-shirt. No cats on the t-shirt. The t-shirt has Khmer script. Long story. Huh? I said size large. So if it fits and you like it, please take it. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.